Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, Now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. Hey, welcome everybody. It's a special edition of the Boone Podcast. We call it Turn It Two with Booney. I'm Rich Rare, executive producer of the podcast, joined by the star, Silver Slugger, Gold Glover, author, and all-around good guy, Brett Boone. Hi, Rich. Uh, this is nice. It's kind of a day off for me. You know, I let you take the helm. Last week, you did, you know, it was our, it was our uh, maiden voyage. You did pretty good. So I, I'm still keeping tabs, but uh, I like the job you've done so far. Listen, I'm all ready to go. I, we're going to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays and their hot start to the season. I got my Rays cap on. I got my uh, America League championship ring. Where's yours? That's funny, Rich. That's funny. Uh, you ring? know, that's a sort. I, I've got a ring. Uh, I've got a National League championship ring. Right. But but it's still a second place ring. We didn't finish the deal, so I, I do have my Braves '99 championship ring. Uh, When's the last time it, you put it on? It's tucked away. It's tucked. Actually, I think it's in my safe. <laughs> By the way, oh, we could talk about that too. Five years I haven't been able to get in my safe. And the other day, uh, <laughs> my, my son loses the keys to his car. Imagine that. So we've got to have AAA come out, make him a new key, because, of course, he doesn't have a backup. Right. So I'm chatting with the with the guy, the locksmith, that's making the, the key for my son's car. And I said, hey, you know anybody that can get into a safe? He goes, matter of fact, I've got the greatest safe guy in the United States. Next morning I went out, I, I found a few uh, trinkets in the safe. And um, that's where the Braves ring is. Did you know where it was? No clue. So it was just gone. I knew it wasn't gone. I mean, I've got boxes and boxes of memorabilia out in the garage. uh, And and I knew it was there. I didn't think it was in the safe, though. But I I did find it. Nice, safe safe and sound. All right. What's the one piece of memorabilia that you have that you most cherish? I don't think. Uh, don't get me wrong. When, when I when I won awards, uh, when I won my first gold glove, that was huge for me because it was. Where's something, that? That is. Is that behind you? No, I, I I don't think that's my first one. That behind me is uh, my silver sluggers and and uh, one of my gold gloves. I don't know what year, and one of my dad's gold gloves because dad mm-hmm. has seven. 
Right. So he didn't have enough room in his display at the house. So I said, Dad, I'd be happy to to rock the Bob Boone glove. So that's that's one of dad's up there. It's very cool. That actually is cooler to me than my own personal awards. But when you're in the game, when when you're when you're in your profession, winning that first gold glove, I, I'd be lying if I said that wasn't special because it's something I always coming up as a as a young player. I was always known as an offensive second baseman and and. I took that almost like as a challenge, like, wait a minute, I'm a good defensive second baseman. And I worked hard when I won my first one. It, it was very gratifying, probably more than most. Uh, as far as awards in general, I don't put too much into them because they're, they're very... Because you have too many? No, because when you... all you can do is do what you do on the field. And then it's out of your hands. You're right. not voting on it. It's not something. Now, something like a batting title, that that is, there's no vote. It's you either have the highest average or you don't. Uh, one year I led the league in RBIs. Uh, that was a really cool thing for me uh, because it wasn't debatable. It's no, I have more than everybody else. So that was cool. But as far as awards, I don't know. I, I think they're all special in their own way. I mean, it's always an honor when you win something. But once again, uh, you can't it's nothing that that you have any control on over once you finish what you've done on the field by the way how do they give you your gold glove do you get like a box in the mail and the guy rings the doorbell you come out and there's a box no with a gold glove in it no you get a phone call uh when you win the award usually right at the end of the season and then next year they have a ceremony you know usually in the first series uh whatever ball club you're playing with they usually have a ceremony on the field and they they physically hand you the gold glove. That's the first time you see it. So uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So then how do you take it home? Well, you have the clubhouse guy go put it in your locker. And then from the locker, it gets home whenever it gets home. You put it in the back of your car and you put it in the corner. And one day you, you'll display it somewhere. <laughs> so just like a sack of groceries. Hey, look, you know what? I, oh, man, I got a bunch of stuff in my car. I got to get out of here. And one of them just happens to be the gold glove. Did you let it right. ride around for a couple of days or do you immediately bring it in the house? No, I, I probably had it in my locker for longer, okay. longer. Once I put it in the car, I, you know, then I looked at it. Well, that's, that's an important item to me. So when I got home, I'd put it somewhere where it was safe. Uh, but the locker room, big league locker room in your locker, that's about as safe haven as, as you could have. Plus it's a pretty good flex. Yeah, but I never did it for that. If, if I won one now, I would do it for a flex. Right. Back then, uh, no, I didn't think anything of it. But yeah, right now, being a having this fifty-three-year-old mind, oh, I would definitely flex if I won one right now, and I'd keep it displayed right at the top of my locker for all my teammates to see. All right, let's start turning to with Booney right here uh, on our podcast. Uh, the home run the other day in Chicago, uh, Kelnick hit a bomb to center field. Um, that kid's got crazy, crazy power. The Mariner fans have been waiting for him to come into his own. I know he struggled to begin the season three games in a row with the bomb, and then he just hit a titanic shot, Brett. He did, and that, and that's those are very capable. Uh, those happen when Wrigley Field, the wind is blowing out, taking nothing away from Kellenick's weekend. Uh, because I paid, uh, I do play pay close attention to the Seattle Mariners and especially Kellenick and his journey thus far. He's, he came up as a highly touted prospect, uh, has done everything asked of him in, at the minor league level uh, in spring training. He had another big spring, but he's never done it at the big league level. And I kind of know to a point uh, what he's going through. 
because we all go through it uh, to a certain degree when we're trying to, we're cutting our teeth, getting to the big leagues. And I watched that series. The home run was impressive. He hit three, by the way, and the other two weren't, uh, weren't wall scrapers. Uh, we all, we always know, we've always known with Kellenic the, the, the skill set he's got. He's a talented, he's a big leaguer. It's just, getting over that mental hump of the big leagues, doing it at the big league level. I looked at that series this weekend. Uh, Mariners dropped two out of three, but Kellenic, I think it was a defining moment for him. We all have him, And I think this, I think riding to the ballpark, I believe the Mariners have a day off Thursday, but riding to the ballpark on Friday, Kellenic's it's going to be a different ride for him. When he walks into that locker room, it's going to the way his teammates look at him, it's going to be in a different way. Like he's arrived and that's a really cool feeling. I remember mine um, and there's nothing like it. When you hit a bomb like that, do you instantly know, bang, it's gone. When do you understand? When do you oh. know it's gone? <laughs> How can you tell? As soon as that ball touches your bat, you know, when, when you hit a ball like that, I mean, one that just a no doubter. Uh, you know, it's a feeling like like no other, you know. Is it's, it close to that perfect golf shot? Because that's what brings people back to golf. Because I'm never going to hit a home run like that. But every yeah. once in a while, I'll square one up and just go bang. And you feel it all the way from your toes to the top of your head. Well, as much as I can feel it as an amateur golfer, yes. Right. Uh, I, I would I would liken it to, okay, being that golf is, is a hobby of mine. I'm far from a professional. But let's say we're in a big match and it comes down to that final hole. It's a tight fairway. Uh, I'm going to hit driver because I've been hitting driver good all day. I don't want to get scared now and break out my iron. I'm hitting this driver. I, tr I have trust in it. And I rear back and rip it. And like you said, I just square it up and hit a, a tiny baby draw down the middle. That's the same feeling of hitting that big home run. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right. Let's move on. Turning to with Booney here uh, on the podcast today. You know, I saw that scary play. Um, it was the game. Uh, it was Uncle Aaron's game. Uh, Yankees were at Cleveland. Larry Vanover, the second base umpire, just got smoked. I think I'm going to quote Aaron on that with the throw in from the outfield. Um, we, we look at the umpires all the time, but we don't understand the little balancing act or the ballet or the dance that they have to do, especially in the middle infield. Um, how, how often do umpires get in the middle of, of a play where they get hit, they deflect, you got to get out of the way. How often does that really happen? You'd think more, you'd think a lot, uh, because of the speed of the game, that the velocity that the ball comes off the bat, that the speed of these athletes on the field, you'd think umpires are going to get in the way a lot. They're really, really, they're really good at avoiding the ball, uh, and, and that's surprising to me, you know, now as a fan watching the game, I think, well, these, these guys aren't, 
aren't world-class athletes, of course they're going to hit. No, they're very good at avoiding it. I, I can count in my entire career a handful of times where the ball hit the umpire. And I kind of have that, oh, come on, get out of the way. But the, uh, the, the realistic side of my brain says, well, of course, thousands of balls are, are ricocheting through the infield at some point. You know, that's just human nature. Somebody's going to hit with a ball. But surprisingly, not that often. I would say more often, Rich, it was an umpire impeding my view when the ball was put in play, whereas I lost it for a split second because that umpire made an abrupt move left or right. Uh, but for the most part, they do a hell of a job. Okay, so what's the conversation like? Because I've been to umpire school, and they said, you know, when you're standing there in the infield, runner in second, you know, the second baseman might tell you to, to, to move over just yeah. to scooch. Right. And you have that relationship. You you develop a rapport with these umpires over the years. Uh, it's definitely easier when, when you're a veteran player and you've been there, done that for a, a number of years. But I was very, always called the umpire by their first name, that's, okay. especially at the big league level and including the minor league level. College, high school, that's different. That's blue. You know, right. I think we've had a segment on that before, but uh, call them by their first name and, and, just for for uh, reference, you were talking about Larry Vanover. I say, hey, Larry, could you give me a step left or a step right? Either one. And it, sure, Booney, no problem. They're very accommodating when it comes to that. Uh, but I think it's all about developing that rapport that you do, especially being a middle infielder, because I'm constantly with a new umpire every single night in the middle of that diamond. And uh, there's a there's a lot of back and forth. I guess it, it depends on your personality as well. But there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of inter, lot of interaction with that umpire who happens to be out there on, on each night. Do you have ongoing conversations if he's at second base? Without a doubt. Without what are you a, and it, it, well, it depends who it is, too. You know, certain umpires are going to have a better uh, dialogue. Some guys have different personalities than you do. But right. I, I tried to have a dialogue with each and every umpire. Of course, I had my favorites when they come out there. Um, but it depends, who, it depends who it is. Uh, from where are you going to go to dinner tonight to do you have any suggestions where I should eat tonight? Booney, what's going on? Some some umpires, Randy Marsh was a good friend. He'd ask about my kids. Right. Joe West, Joe West, that's going to be a completely different conversation. I'm going to talk about him being a fat ass. He's going to talk <laughs> about me being too short. Uh, and yeah, Booney, you haven't grown over the over the offseason, I see. But that was our way of saying, hey, Joe, what's going on? You know, and his way of calling me a, a, a short little guy was his endearing way of saying, Hey, Booney, what's going on, man? So it depends. It depends who it was, uh, what the, what the, some were more straightforward, you know, and right. I didn't talk much, uh, Hey, how you been, you know, where are you coming from? Who, who'd you have in the last series? Maybe there was an interesting series where something big happened and I'll ask him about a play in a previous series. If he was in Pittsburgh or if he was in St. Louis. So it, it depends. It depends. It, and depend on the mood I was in, you know, was I, was I in the zone? Was I, was I three for my last six or was I, Oh, for my last 14. So I, I might be so a little just quieter take it out on the umpire. Then. Right, I take it out of the umpire, you know, why would I, if I'm the umpire though, why would I ask you where to eat? Small talk. Yeah, but you're the you're the worst in that. Yeah, but I'm going to give you a good. I, I no, still know the good no, restaurant. If you look, come to Seattle and you say, "What are the what's a good joint, Brett?" Metropolitan what's a, what's Grill. A, it's not that. Metro, yeah, but everybody knows that. 
what what are the inside places? What are the places but that you, you, you have to you, live there? You don't eat like a normal human being. No, but I always like a good steak. I like a good meal. In this in season, my right. diet, my diet, uh, I let it go a little bit because I was so active. And and when you're on the road all the time, you can't sit there and prepare your own food and prepare your lunch and dinner. It's kind of sometimes you just got to get it where you can get it. So, so folks, I will tell you this. So when Brett and I talk, and we talk just about every day, he'll call me and ask me, "What are you doing?" Oh, I'm at a sports bar watching a game. And then he'll give me a hard time about what are you eating in there? I don't know. I'm having chicken wings or something. You you still eat so clean and healthy. You're the last guy that I ever want to ask where to go eat. That is true. What's the last but, time you just well, sat down and didn't care? I'm telling you, this last week, I went to Punta Mita, Mexico. Okay. Uh, like, folks, by the way, I went to Golden Corral last night, and he was giving me a hard time. Yes, that that's I, I just I had to eat real quick. I had I was doing the overnight show on CBS. Well, I had about I had about a half hour to eat and then take a nap before I did the overnight show. And Boone's like, oh, where are you eating? So okay, so when when do you just let it go? Now now don't get me wrong. I love food. You put a pizza, a New York style pizza in front of me, I could eat three of them. I love food. Right. But I'm also very particular. I know, especially as I'm getting older, I like to, I look at food as fuel. I like to fuel my body. Now, I just went to Punta Mita, Mexico, okay. and it was a four-day trip. Uh, my wife and myself, that was it. It was an adult trip. A, which a, in, a, a vacation. Which in my life doesn't happen too often with all these kids running around. They're always with me, so, so you by, know, by they're the way, a pain you, in the neck. You've alluded to the kids. How many kids do you have living at home right now? Uh, let's see. We've got Jake. Isaiah Judah's off at school, so he's okay. he's part time. And then we've got uh, my my wife, who who I got married recently. Uh, she has three daughters. Okay, so I have a twenty four year old who's who's going to college from my house here in San Diego. And then we have a freshman in high school, right? And then a junior, no, going to be a junior in college. She goes to school in Santa Barbara. Uh, she'll be back at the end of the school year. So in the summer, six. But during the year, uh, parts of six. Parts of six. Parts of six. So you get Jake, away from Jake, the kids. Jake goes to his minor league season. He'll be right. gone till the season's over. But all winter, I've got Jake Boone in the house. So I, I complain about it a lot, but I love it. And and what I, I do cherish these moments because I know one day I'm going to have nobody in the house. That's why I, I got I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be I go to sports bars. I'm going to be bitching about that. Anyway, right. so, back to oh, the so Punta Mita. Punta Mita. I go on vacation, beautiful place, new place, never been. It called the Conrad. And uh, I've got this buffet every morning. Oh. And they say, oh, you know, this is on the house for your trip, for your trip here. It's all inclusive. And I said, oh, well, yeah, no, it's not all inclusive. Oh, okay. But this particular breakfast for my package is inclusive. Okay. So I, I you know, I say to my wife, I said, let's, let's go check it out. You know, I'm usually going to order some egg whites, maybe, uh, you know, whites. maybe. Maybe some turkey sausage, whatever. Uh, I'm on vacation. Remember, I'm living up. Egg whites and turkey sausage. I go okay. to this buffet, Rich. I've never seen a buffet. And I've been to a lot of buffets. I've never seen a buffet. It was a football field long. You go into one section. It was the authentic Mexican breakfast. You go to right. another. It was the traditional American breakfast. You had a waffle bar, French toast bar, pancake bar, pastries. You had fine cheeses, meats. 
It was unbelievable. Every juice, every guava juice you could have. I had teas, coffees. There was an omelet bar out on the patio. And I'll tell you, I ate like it was my last meal every day for breakfast. I came back. What I like to call you. you what do I call you? Well, we won't. We Yeah, we won't say it here. On the podcast. Yeah, you call me the same thing you call Joe West. What? I came back and and I'm like, oh my goodness, that was so good. So now I'm on my fourth day of eating steamed chicken and broccoli. So Ugh. that's no fun, but I'm back. But yeah, I gained six. All right, what was pounds. the most decadent thing you ate? I I ate, what didn't I eat? I mean, I was so full by the time I'd eat breakfast, like at ten. So I was so full by eleven o'clock. I didn't want to eat till dinner. So I I I had pancakes and then i then i went back and got some french toast and then maybe a waffle and then i'd have a croissant which i would never do at breakfast uh, i might even have a, a brownie that they had out there I had, cake, I had cake it was my birthday this week i had cake uh pretty much whatever they put in front of me where i'd normally say you know usually at the end of a dinner i'll go have a steak dinner right at the end of a dinner I'll, uh yes is is that all is there anything else would you like the dessert menu 99 out of 100 times, I of course, I'd love to have dessert. But I say, no, no dessert. This so time, the, I, so, I just said, what do you got? Bring us out your best. <laughs> what, so the, so I was we, on vacation. So we went to go eat dinner once in Scottsdale after we recorded the podcast. You had pizza with us. Yeah, I'll, I'll say I, that's vacation. Okay. All right. That's I, then, I, then I feel even better. So yeah. if you're a listener to the Boone podcast and Brett sits down and has pizza, then you guys know that, that it's it's a special occasion. That's right. I love pizza. Ooh, I love it. All right. Let me get back to a couple other things I wanted to talk about in the program today. That was um, so important, though. <laughs> it is. I needed to get your uh, review of the Masters. Because Sunday, you and I are going back and forth talking. Hey, I can't talk to you right now. I, I know it's Easter. No, no, I'm watching the Masters. Right. Uh, I thought it was really cool how the live guys hung in there and made a great showing. Uh, Patrick Reed, I believe came in fourth Mickelson and Kepka. Uh, I was really pulling for, for a live guy to win the tournament oh. <laughs> because I, did, I just want you that like controversy. Chaos. I want that controversy. Uh, I think, you know, all the negative press that, that Phil's gotten recently Mickelson I, I, and now I'm a connoisseur of golf. I love golf. Uh, Phil Mickelson is one of the greatest golfers of all time, period. Whatever you feel about live, uh, whatever you don't feel about live, that doesn't change who Phil Mickelson is. He's almost got 50 wins on the PGA Tour. Uh, if, other than Tiger Woods, nobody's even close in, in our generation. So I, I do have the utmost respect for Phil and what he's done. The way he came out at 53 years old right, and, and finished second, I thought that was huge. I thought it was cool to watch that. Uh, and I'm, you know, Kepka. usually he's a guy. If he's got a lead in a major, he's a tough guy to hunt down. But John Rom, man, he's so good right now. You know, uh, watching him and Scheffler, uh, right. Scotty, those two right now are, are I, that's the last two guys I'd want uh, to be staring down going into that last nine holes of a major. John Rom got him, but, uh, you know, John Rom, I, I, I don't know if he took over as number one in the world now. He's just so efficient and he's in that zone. You know, Romney's already won. He's like won four or five times in the last seven months. But right. uh, I love it. Masters you- love it. Have you played? I, we already talked about you never played at Augusta, but have you played with Phil? Yeah, I played with Phil a few times. I got a good, I, I got a good Phil story. You want to hear it? Sure. Play with Phil. Uh, my partner was his brother. 
okay. who, who was his caddy uh, briefly. Golf pro. Uh, I think he coached at one of the San Diego, one of the universities down here is the golf coach. Really great guy. Great player. So he's my partner. He's my A partner. And I forget who Phil, uh, who was playing with Phil. I think it was a buddy of mine. And uh, we have individual bets and we get to the turn. And this is one of the first time I played with him. We get to the turn. I've got him down every way because I'm getting six aside from him. Right. It's going to be, you know, four, five, six aside. I forget what it was. I've got him way down. And his brother turns to me and he says, uh, he's laughing because Phil's so competitive. You know, I'm competitive too, but but I know my <laughs> my limitations. When right. I'm playing with one of the greatest golfers of all time, I don't expect too much. Any Nothing, nothing fools, nothing's going to surprise me. So he disappears at the turn. And I turn to his brother. And I said, uh, where'd your brother go? And he goes, who knows what he's doing? Because Phil shot like a 40 on the front. And I shot like a 39 and I'm getting five. I'm way up. Right. He returns. He goes to his car, switches clubs, what? which is illegal in the middle of a bet. You can't do that in the middle of a round. Now, this isn't the U.S. Open. It's a It's a Tuesday afternoon. So right. I'm thinking, you know. That's fine. I don't really care. If my buddy, if I said, listen, I, can I go get my other driver in the car mid round? A- anybody, we're not, we're not betting enough money to, for it really to matter that much. So I said, <laughs> ah, do whatever you got to do. He throws like a 30 on me on the back. I shoot like a 44. I get waxed. I end up losing on the day. That's my Phil story. One of the first times I played with him, but yeah, not too often, but, but I've, but I've bunted around with him a few times. That is outstanding. The Tampa Bay Rays are the hottest team in baseball right now. They've started the season 13-0. and 13-0. Record-setting performance with the Rays as they beat the Red Sox. Um, the Red Sox, I think, have lost 13 in a row at Tropicana Field. So tell me, the Tampa Bay Rays, you've got a feeling they just can't lose right now. So, first of all, just react to the fact that they started the season 13-0, Booney, 13-0. It's ridiculous. You know, that USA team that was playing in the WBC, right? Uh, that would surprise me if they started 13-0 because that just doesn't happen in our game, especially to start the season. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm done trying to figure out, Rich, the Tampa Bay race. I, I'm done. We go into it every year and we did right. it a few weeks. We did it a few weeks ago. You know, we have our preseason picks and how does everybody line up on paper? And uh, I look at the Tampa Bay Rays, their big guy, Tyler Glass. Now he's he's hurt to start the season. So they're down another stud. McClanahan was their their Cy Young candidate a year ago. He's healthy. Uh, kid in the game today, Springs, he gets hurt in the first or second inning for the Rays. The Rays rally back, end up beating the Red Sox for 13 in a row. I, I don't know. Wander Franco, obviously they signed him to a big deal, big talent. Uh, uh, a Rosarina we saw in the WBC, uh, big personality, big postseasons he's had last three or four seasons. Uh, Brandon Lowe, Yandy Diaz, uh, I don't know. Because I looked at the Rays. They're second in average. They're on base percentage first. Slugging right. first. OPS first. Home runs first. Runs first. First in ERA. First in le- uh, giving up the least amount of walks. 
giving their pitching staffs giving up the least amount of home runs. But you look at that team on paper. What do you say? They're really good. They're they're a quality ball club. Are they as but good you, on paper as everybody else? Never. And no. and it's something to do. And and I don't want to. Uh, I, I I'm going to give Kevin Cash some credit right here. The culture he has set in Tampa Bay is like no other. I mean, who do you know that year in and year out in a tough division, that American League East? You got to fight with Uncle Aaron and you got to fight with the Red Sox. The two biggest dynasties maybe in the game of baseball. You're in that division and year in and year out, Tampa Bay's going to that postseason. It's remarkable. I'm done figuring it out. Nobody can pick this. I don't care who you are and how big of a guru you are. You can't say, well, the Rays are going to get off to a 13-0 start. Oh, by the way, Glass now, he's on the IL to start the season. No rhyme or reason, but they do it time and time again. I'm done figuring them out. So why doesn't everybody else do it then? <laughs> they should start. And and oh. with one of the smallest payrolls, year right. in and year out. It, it, it's it's called, unbelievable. It's called an arbitrage. So it's I, unbelievable. I, uh, so I worked there, and it, and it was a term that, that they brought over from Wall Street. Go look for something that, that everybody else doesn't value and then try to build as much as you can. So everybody else is looking for slugging. Everybody else is looking for home runs. That's why the market drives those those players to such high salaries. Nobody's looking for, well, who do I have that gets on base? That's one that people undervalue. So let me go build all that up as much as I can. It's pretty amazing. And then if you think about it, think about all the brain drain that they've had for years there. Um, Hein Bloom, the general manager of the Red Sox, was a former Tampa Bay Ray intern. Uh, Matt Arnold, who's the general manager of the Brewers, former Tampa Bay. Andrew Friedman, former Tampa Bay. They've got, like, I think I want to say five or six GMs or assistant GMs that one time worked at Tropicana Field. You look at all the managers, Derek Shelton in Pittsburgh, uh, Dave Martinez uh, in Washington. You can go through all these guys that had, man- that had coached there, and they've all taken off. And they still win, Booney. Thing is, and I'll agree with you on all those points, but I do know as much as 2023 is different than a time I played in, and, and I'm coming around on the analytics, and I think there definitely adds value putting that in play. Uh, but it's got to be more than that. There's there's a culture. There's a feeling when you walk in the locker room. Uh, there's a feeling amongst teammates there's a look, there's a glance. I use that a lot, but but that that's real stuff that that I I caught lightning in a bottle a few times in my career. But it's not something that you just show up and and every team has it or or every organization has. Uh, that's why I give a lot of uh, a lot of credit to Kevin Cash and whatever the tone he sets there, uh, and his core group of players that have been there in the, in the short term. I think that transcends to the other players. And I and I think it embodies Tampa Bay Ray baseball and and what they're about. There's there's the I just had Tom Glavin on the podcast and we talk about that that winning culture that you have in Atlanta and they had in the 90s and and in recent times with Brian Snitger at the helm they've recaptured that winning culture. I think that Tampa Bay Rays uh, organization has that winning culture when you become a Ray and never on paper do they. They don't, they don't have the star power and the names, but you walk into that clubhouse in spring training, there's something different about them. Like 
we win every year. We go to the postseason every year and we're going to do it again. And when you start thinking about that, it becomes contagious. And it's something throughout that that locker room that really is a real thing. You had a moment in time where you guys captured lightning in a bottle in Seattle. How many games did you win? A lot. 116. Okay. You, I think you won every series but one all season long. I think we didn't lose a series until September. Right. Don't quote me on that. I, I might no, be we've wrong, looked it but up that's before. what it feels like. Yeah. So if the Tampa Bay Rays go 500 for the rest of the season, I think they end up with 94 wins. Right. All they have to do is play 500 baseball the rest of the season. What's it like on a daily basis when you roll in there and you're on a hot streak like that, like you had with your Mariners team, like they're going today, like we can't lose. It's very rare in this game, um, but I have witnessed it and it, and it's, I can't explain it. It's like a magic carpet ride and there's no rhyme or reason to it. You don't know why, uh, but it's a feeling when you take the field and, and I don't want to get too hokey out there for the audience. Listen to the boom podcast here. Uh, But we would take the field in Seattle and, and I could feel the other team. They were scared of us. I could feel it. It was the seventh inning. We were down by two. And you could feel in our dugout that we were going to come back. And nine times out of 10, we did. And I don't know why, uh, but it was just, it was just there. And, and it, it was a veteran team. Uh, it wasn't a bunch of young guys. It was, it, there were some batting champs on that team, MVPs, gold glovers, silver sluggers, a lot of all-stars. So it's not like uh, we weren't a great team. We were the greatest team of all time. No, but for that one year, we came together and, and I think it it was funny. We got to about mid season and we had such a lead in our division, you know, and like I said, there's veteran guy, Norm Charlton's on that team. Jay Buhner's on that team that spent so many years in Seattle. And we just kind of looked at each other like, you know, this doesn't happen very often. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was, it, it wasn't arrogance. It was just, the way it was that particular year, we didn't take it for granted. We didn't think it was going to last for the rest of our, our careers. Cause we had enough trial and error, enough experience to know that this doesn't happen too often for that one year though. We didn't, we didn't want to talk about it. We didn't want to know why just ride that magic carpet. And it was great. And we didn't finish the deal and we're still a little bitter about that. All right. A couple things before I want to get you out of here. Um, I saw that the Washington Commanders, uh, Daniel Snyder, that sale is about to go through. If Brett Boone can buy a team, what team would you buy? I'm buying the Tampa Bay Rays, and I'm keeping everybody that's got that thing going there because they're going to be – I'm going to get them for a better deal. First of all, how much money do I have to spend? How much money do I have, Rich? Do Um, I have unlimited funds? Am I Elon Musk? You're Elon Musk. Well, then I'm going to go buy the Yankees. Because the Yankees are their most iconic. They're the New York Yankees. That'll never change. I own that piece of real estate in the middle of Manhattan, or not in the middle of Manhattan, in the, the Bronx. Bronx. Uh, you're the New York Yankees. Y- you can't go wrong with that. But it, from a business perspective, what I want to, I know the Tampa Bay Rays, they're making a lot of money. They got a low payroll. But just before one person comes through that turnstile, put it this way there's a reason that every time a franchise and it doesn't matter how prestigious 
or how low on the totem pole that franchise is and is in professional sports goes on the market. There are tens, 20, 30 billionaires bidding. Right. Billionaires are smart people. They become billionaires, not because they're stupid. They don't buy products that lose money. So from a business perspective, I'm going to buy the Tampa Bay Rays. Eventually, I'm going to get a big time stadium. I'm going to get a bigger following. And uh, I'm going to ride off with that formula and, and make a lot of money. All right, let me go back to the team that originally you said you would buy, the New York Yankees. Well, that's a flex. That's like having that's the gold glove no, in the locker. Hey, right. who who's that? That's the owner of the New York Yankees. There's yeah. something to be said for that. So Brett Boone buys the New York Yankees. Two questions. What kind of owner would you be? Would you be hands-on like Mr. Steinbrenner, or would you be standoffish and never come around? I'd hire the best baseball people in the world that I know. And okay. they run my run my franchise. I would uh I would not be like George Steinbrenner, no, without a doubt. I, I would but you know my, the game. I would give my two cents, I would give my opinion, but it wouldn't be law. That's why it, when I'm in the own now, if you put me in a in a service role where I'm gonna be have a heading other than owner, well then of course I'm gonna I'm gonna do things my way. But I'm going to hire the best people I know, the guys that I trust, that I respect, that are great baseball men. I'm going to get the greatest data people I know. I'm going to put them together in a room. I'm not going to have guys that are fighting about the dat the data guys versus the the baseball guys. No, I'm going to find that if if you can't get along, well then you don't work in my franchise. But I want the analytical guys there. I want the great baseball men. I want them to collaborate, get together, give me the best product and I'll just sit up in my ivory tower and count the wins. Would you sit in the owner's box or you sit in the stands with the fans? I'd do both. I think I'd be, I think I'd be uh, the owner's box on a daily basis, but I think I'd get down and hang out with the fans too. Cause I, I still to this day, it's been my whole life. Uh, baseball has been a huge part of it. It's my first love. It's something that's kind of um, just entrenched in me. So right. uh, I love going down and talking to fans and, and getting their feedback. What are you thinking? So, yeah, I think I'd be, uh, I think I'd, I'd do both for, for, Every day, I'd be in my booth, but once a homestand, I'm going to go down and hang out with the fans, see what they're thinking, see if they like this product. See, this, I is kinda, this is kind of fun playing this role. See, I wouldn't want to hang out with you in your suite because you'd have egg white omelets and, and turkey sausage. Oh, I'd probably, if I owned the Yankees, I'd, man, I, that'd be tough to stay skinny. Right. All right. <laughs> Here's the big question. Brett Boone buys the New York Yankees. Yes. Because he's got Elon Musk type money. I could also buy the Cowboys would be someone to buy too. Buy the Dallas buy the, no, I tell you to buy the 49ers. Okay. 49ers. Yeah. We've had John Lynch on the podcast. You just let him do his thing. They've got the greatest equipment manager in the history of sports. That's true. Right? Okay, but here's the Gilby. question. Gilby. Yeah. Gilby getting a shout out. Here's the big question. When the, when the owner of the New York Yankees comes in and he's got his brain trust of people, what's the conversation when he, what, what's the conversation he has with the current skipper of the New York Yankees who still has that job? When Brett Boone walks in, do you go down to Aaron's office or do you make Aaron come up to the owner's suite? I'd go to Aaron's office. He's got a lot more to do than I do. You know, I, I I don't have a hands-on label, so I'm going to go down oh, okay. there. So I'm going to go so to Aaron's gonna go office. Down to the I'm, I'm not going to make a spectacle of it. I'm going to I'm going to uh, 
it's not going to be the, you know, it, it, no, I'm, I'm going to go down and probably before anybody gets there, it's going to be early when Aaron first arrives. Right. I'm going to just go talk to him. I'm going to have some brother time and then we're going to talk about today's game and, and what do we got set up? And then I'm going to, it's not going to be one of those spectacles where I come down now. How good of a boss would you be in I talking be, to your brother? I think I'd be a great boss. I think it'd be you know a what? great boss. I, I'd I'm like easy. Ask, I'd I'm, like to I'm, ask Aaron these questions. I'm a realist and I am uh, common sense. Common sense always prevails. So I, I wouldn't be one of those guys that was hands-on and puts a lot of pressure on my employees. Okay. Now, if you don't do your job, eventually, just like in any job, you will be fired. So I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. The reason I hired you is because I trust and I respect the job you're going to do. So I'm going to leave you to do your job. You're going to get fired one day anyway. Everybody's going to get fired. And we right? all get hired to get fired. Correct. And so course. I'm not going to hire you, tell tell you to do it my way, fail, and then I fire you. That's like a double whammy. It's like I, you gonna, might as well get fired doing it your way. I, I, I need to ask I need to ask Uncle Aaron if uh, Brett Boone would be a good owner. He well, we're going to have Uncle Aaron on in a couple of weeks. All uh, right, you can ask him, him that. that question. This is this is you know this is the first time I've ever gone down this road. It's like, what if? Like a little fantasy. <laughs> oh, I'm the owner. I'm Elon Musk. I can buy this. I can buy. <laughs> it is kind of funny, but it's actually kind of weird talking about it. I've never gone down this this trail of questions before, but it's interesting. All right, last thing we're going to talk about. We, we're going to end the program every week with Boone approved. I got two things for you, Booney. Yes. Two things for you. Stanley Cup playoffs are starting. NBA playoffs are starting. If you got to pick one to watch, which one would end up being hashtag Boone approved? NHL. They're my favorite athletes. They're the most unassuming. Uh, are you just sucking up to Glavin? No. Yeah. I already got Glavin in the can. I don't have to suck up to him. NHL players, they've they've always been my favorite athletes because they're unassuming. Right. They have the least ego of any athlete of all the big sports. And I've often wondered why. Unless you're Gretzky, that big of a name. Nowadays, if you're a star in the NHL, you have a helmet, you have a mask on. It's tough to recognize. So I don't think they go out in the public and get recognized. You know, baseball, your face is right on the camera, especially if you're a starting pitcher. NBA, you walk you walk into a restaurant. There's not too many 6'10 guys walking into a restaurant. People know you're an NBA player. NFL, <laughs> those are big boys. You kind of know when there's an NFL lineman sitting at your table. Uh, but NHL guys are just kind of everyday you know, in they shape, look like athlete. human beings. They look like human right. Beings. And and I've always my interaction, and not that I've had a ton, uh, but my interaction over the years with the NHL players, they like to go out. Like I said, they check their ego at the at the door. They like to go out. They like to have a good time. They like to drink beers. I don't drink beers anymore, but they like to do that. And and they're just good guys. And they're kind of, uh, you know, all of us, all of us play the, this game at the highest level. And of course, to some degree our ego gets, we get caught up with our ego. Cause when you have everybody telling you how great you are and you, and you do this for a living and you're have 50,000 fans cheering for you every night, the subconscious takes over. When you retire, you get away from the game a little bit. Like I have, you start to live life and you see things that are important. Uh, you laugh at yourself when you were 30 years old, when you thought you were the cat's meow, you know, it doesn't mean so I look at young players and, and we all have egos, 
but it just seems to me that that the NHL players always consistently, from a percentage standpoint, were the least egotistical of any of the athletes. That includes baseball, football, basketball, uh, any other sport at the highest level. So I'm going to say Boone approved in the NHL over the NBA. All right. And now we know that Brett Boone has to watch his weight. He doesn't get to go with Rich to Golden Corral whenever he wants. No. And That's where the he, fat he ass goes. go. <laughs> so you're saying Joe West and I can go to Golden Corral. Joe West could go, and you could tell him I said that. And, and now we also know that uh, he understands that you can't lose your keys because you got to call a car smith, uh, a locksmith. That's right, but I got into my safe. There I, you I, go. And now you can wear your Hunting season's coming up in October. I needed those. I needed those shotguns. There you go. All right, that's it for turning two with Booney. We do this once a week. Who else do we have coming up on the podcast, Brett? We just had Glav. We've got uh, Mike Sweeney, uh, the All Star in the Hall of Fame for the Kansas City Royals. He'll yeah, be out Monday. We're going to have uh, Griffey Junior. out next Wednesday. Always cool to that's catch up of, with. That's kind of bearing the lead, isn't it? Hey, yeah. who you having coming up? Uh, you know, a couple other guys. Then Junior. Junior. He's always fun to have on the podcast. And then next Friday, we'll be back here with Turning Two with Boone. That's right. All right. Hey, until then, thanks for joining us, everybody. I'm Rich Rear. That's Brett Boone. Have a great weekend.